Welcome to the Keep Cool Show, the podcast in which we cover how cutting-edge climate technologies connect to the world in which we live. I'm your host, Nick Van Osdal. And as you're continuing to grow the business and aggregate more deposits, what's the decision process and evaluation process look like around what solutions you fund? Because as you've mentioned, there's already a variety of different things that you're helping accelerate. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, you know, from your perspective, what's the consideration set that informs, okay, now we're ready to help residential owners adopt heat pumps and to finance that or whatever the actual solution is? Because we offer bank loans and we work with banks and credit unions to make these loans, what we're offering is our bank loans, you know, so it has to be what can be financed by a bank loan. So things that have scientific risk still, things are still in development, can it be financed by a bank loan? Direct air capture, you know, large utility scale projects, new nuclear. You can't get a small modular reactor for your backyard for (laughs) $35,000, fifty, dollars $100,000. Maybe in 50 years, we'll see. (laughs) Right, exactly. So it's just like a little, you know, toaster size SMR that's like your own battery backup or it's a micro reactor for your neighborhood, like maybe that's possible in 20 to 50 years, but it's not right now. So on the consumer side, it's solar, batteries, heat pumps, electrification, EVs, those types of things. All right, Ravi, welcome to the Keep Cool Show. It's wonderful to have you. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Nick. Glad to be here. Very brilliant. Let's dive right in. I would love for you to get our listeners up to speed on what Atmos is and effectively what solutions you all are trying to bring to market to scale climate action. Thank you, Nick. Atmos is at its heart a climate tech company, but to people, we look like a bank. Uh, So in reality, we're a multi-sided fintech that offers solutions to both sides of economic transactions within clean energy and electrification deployment. Essentially, what that means is we help borrowers, consumers who want to put solar on their roof, or maybe it's a small business. It's banks and credit unions who want to make those types of loans, but don't know how. And it's the installers and the contractors who are doing the work. And so our software helps that whole transaction move smoothly between those three parties. And it also allows each of us as individuals to have more power to affect climate action ourselves, whether we're in an apartment or a house, by moving where we bank and having our money fund those projects. Excellent. So it sounds like there's a lot of different stakeholders involved here, a lot of different services being provided. Maybe as we begin to unpack all of these different pieces, I'd be interested in understanding kind of when you identify that this was a solution that you were motivated and passionate about building and you know, what informed that initial evaluation process of like, okay, what services exist today? Where are there gaps and how might we fill them? Slightly different for me and my co-founder. For me, I identified sort of part of this underlying problem back in about 2006, 2007. So I've been in climate and clean energy for just over two decades. This has been, wow. uh, yeah, more than half of my life. When I was 18, I had- Thank a- you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Hollywood-like moment of epiphany at my freshman orientation at the University of Washington, where this woman was describing a research exchange program as part of the engineering school, 
one of the things she talked about was doing research with graduate students on renewable energy. And basically the room gets dark and there's a spotlight on her and there's a heat in my chest. And this voice in my head says, Ravi, this is your mission in life. It's helped the world transition off of fossil fuels. So since, since that time, I've been spending at least some part of every day on that, whether it's starting a new company, it's working at a nonprofit, it's having a conversation with a friend about what vehicle they should buy or if they should buy a vehicle and those types of things. And so that, that first, you know, seeing the problem around finance was actually being turned down for a, a great project. So the investors that backed a biodiesel startup that I had when we closed the biodiesel company because of the, the market was bombing, we started looking at what else could we do? And I was like, here's an amazing project or, hey, we could do biodiesel using waste grease, but it was one fifth the size of what we wanted to do originally. And they're like, oh, the numbers don't, you know, it's like, it's not big enough. Sure, yeah. And so I was like, wait, but it's profitable. We can do this. And they're like, no, but here's this. And so that's when I learned about sort of the demands of different capital for scale of returns and just the amount of capital they might have to put into something in order for them, for it to make sense. So I worked on the deployment side up until about 2015. And at that point, the Department of Energy's SunShot program has been going for a couple of years at that point. And the SunShot program was, the initial goal was to get solar down to $1 per watt installed by 2030. Uh, and at the utility level, we reached that in 2017. It was you know, amazing what they did. Residential has not fallen at a similar pace, and that's primarily because of soft costs. The soft costs, meaning not the hardware. So labor, sales, marketing, finance, permitting, etc. And so in 2015, I went to this event that they were holding and I'd been noodling on a whole bunch of different things. And I pitched them an idea on using bank mortgages to finance solar and using that specific event to overcome some psychological barriers that consumers have to borrowing money. And so got into the DOE Sunshot program at that time and started working on this idea of using bank mortgages and HELOCs and equity capital to finance solar and electrification. So anyway, market was doing this, though was well, people can't see this, so the market was climbing. <laughs> and then 2017, we there was a, a trade case filed. So then the solar coaster peaked and started going down again. So then venture funding dried up for new solar startups. Got it. So kind of shelved the idea for a few years. I was, you know, had some other things going on, consulting other projects within the startup space, the climate tech startup space. And then in late 2018, the IPCC, the Inter Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, for those who don't know it, released their report that's saying, if we want to stay below one and a half degrees centigrade, you know, just over three degrees Fahrenheit of total temperature rise, we would need to start deploying, you know, four to six trillion dollars per year for this to get off of fossil fuels starting in 2016. So it was just like, okay, we need to time travel back two years and more than 10 X the amount of, amount of money that we're spending 
while in the clean energy transition. And I was like, dang, I was like, well, I can't do time travel, but I know how to work on the capital side. It's like, this is something that like I've just been thinking about. And so if you look at where there is that much money, the global banking sector has over $200 trillion of deposits that they can lend. And what do we need to change for this transition? How do we power our buildings? How do we change how we move around the, the power that we consume? You know, so those are all things that are done by bank loans today. And now we just need to shift what those bank loans are financing. Makes sense. Early 2019, I, I sort of dusted off that idea. And at that same time, I met my co-founder, Pete Helwig, who is a banker by training. And so he is now, or he was leaving. He was at a, a B Corp bank, a uh, new resource bank. It was acquired by Amalgamated. He was in the process of leaving. And so he and I came with this idea from two sides, blended it together. And then, you know, we started pitching it and got our first investment check in early February, 2020. Yeah. Right before the world changed massively again. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like, thankfully we got that first check in, in early 2020, because if we didn't get the first one in, we probably wouldn't have gotten the second or the third or the fourth or any others. But then, you know, then fast forward to August, 2020, and then we got our next sets of checks in, got enough to launch our MVP in 2021. Beautiful. So a lot of dynamic market shifting has gone on during the lifetime of Atmos. But, you know, we are affecting major change and we're, we're now helping people who live in an apartment, who don't own a car, who don't have a roof to put solar on. They're financing those projects through Atmos, which is really awesome to see. Yeah, it's amazing that, you know, as you said, even if it's people that can't take some of the concrete climate actions that are so often marketed, marketed as really critical, such as buying an EV or putting rooftop solar on your house or what have you. I think there's so much value in still giving folks agency in a way to feel like they are making a concrete contribution. So excited to talk a lot more about that. There's something you said early on that I also want to just double click on in terms of when kind of your commitment to combating climate change coalesced. I think it was so refreshing that you described an actual kind of like somatic and bodily feeling of warmth in your chest listening to that presentation. I think so often we come at these things from a cerebral perspective where it's all in the mind, but there's so much intelligence in kind of the body and the felt sense too when it comes to aligning our mission to without getting too woo-woo our soul's purpose. So I just wanted to appreciate that awareness uh, and honor that in you as well. I'm really interested to dig a little bit deeper on, you know, exactly how the offerings that Atmos work today, because as you identified, I think customer deposits, and this is so much of the conversation that happens in the fintech space, but I think it is really critical to the climate tech space too. There is fundamentally a massive amount of capital in the banking system that is fundamentally, you know, money that is owned by folks like yourself and myself. And we should all have more agency and alignment in the solutions or the companies or the products that that capital flows to. So maybe we can kind of frame the conversation of Atmos in 2023 a little bit from that perspective of really like leveraging the massive asset that is customer deposits and trying to make sure that people have choice in what that funds. 
Yeah, definitely. And thank you for the acknowledgement. It's like not something that I acknowledge is like the intelligence within my body. And sometimes I like one, I'm not somebody who gets those the feelings often or understands, but it's sometimes it's just sort of like a two by four to the forehead. It's just like, hey, <laughs> it's big enough that you have to stop and take notice. Right. There are probably a million subtle signs that I missed. And yeah. it's just like, okay, <laughs> whack, here you go. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. And also part of that, I see a lot of anxiety and, you know, fear and anxiety. Like, like that drives a lot of people, but also comes up. It's like, we're not moving fast enough. We're not doing enough. And so those who are working in this space, you know, suffer a lot at the same time. Absolutely. And definitely like when I was first getting into this and in the early aughts, there were not a lot of us, like there were orders of magnitude, fewer people working in the space at the same time. So we didn't have community like we do now. So I definitely went through that, but also knowing that absolutely this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I don't have those same fluctuations as I did very early on. And so it's like, I, I want people to know that if they're having those feelings, right. that know that this is what you're supposed to be doing and go with that. This greater purpose that you're working on will help you to get through those hard times so that like you can carry forward and you will get into sunny days again. So, so like, yeah, like this just drives me forward. It's like, this is a task list for me. Like, I have to do this, so I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah, that resonates with me a lot, too. I, I agree that there is a big risk that practitioners of climate work, that we ignore those feelings of anxiety or even grief in ourselves. But ultimately, you know, they are important signs from our body and they are extremely valid signs. It's just as important from a sustainability perspective beyond the climate side of things that we, all of us who are engaged in this work, take the time to make the work for ourselves inherently sustainable too. Because the worst thing for us would be to be taken out of the fight because we burn ourselves out or we don't create the space to process those feelings. So love that some of this is coming up in the conversation too. Yeah, this is great. Exactly, and when those feelings arise, that means your stress hormones, your chemical system within your body is getting out of balance and you will get physically sick. It's like you take that too far, your physical body will break down. And so pull yourself back. You know, you don't have to go a hundred hours a week every week. It's not possible. I've tried it several times. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes the most power is in slowing down and resetting. And as you mentioned, there is now a much bigger community of us who are all navigating the similar challenges and we can all take solace in that and work together. Anyways, on that right. front, solutions. back to Atmos. Let's dive yes. in. Solutions. <laughs> so it's, you know, and again, thank you for having us on. And banking is not something that people generally like to talk about, understand incredibly well, or want to deal with. So many people push it off. They have their bank accounts and they just let it go on, on autopilot. They have subscriptions that they don't know that they're paying for. But the incumbents and especially the larger banks, they've made it so painful for us to change what's going on, to change where we bank, 
that we don't want to deal with it. And so even if we offer an easy solution for that switch, psychologically, we're sort of stuck in, in what we have. And so it's not a glamorous solution. It's not a sexy solution, you know, like solid state batteries or direct air capture or anything like that, or, you know, advanced geothermal, which are the true solutions. It's literally, we need to change the infrastructure of the planet, but there are these massive levers. And like, that's what I was searching for as, as an engineer, as my arc, what I call my Archimedes lever. Give me a lever long enough and firm ground to stand upon and I can move the world. As you know, Archimedes' famous line. With banking, that is something that we have and it's something that we all do and we don't talk about. You can't go to your bank and say, I want you to invest more in solar or I want you to not invest in this. <laughs> yeah. As projects come to them, and if it makes a good economic deal for them, they're going to move forward on that which they can. And that might be fossil fuels or oil sand development, what have you. Right. So, you know, banks are very agnostic to whether or not the, the moral value of a deal. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> for the most part, you know, brands, it's like they know that certain things that they finance causes them, you know, economic harm in that people will shift away. Right. And that's part of our pressure on them, our, our leverage to get them to change. So, but if we, and that's the, the whole purpose is that if somebody said, oh, I've got a, a bank account with Chase or Bank of America or Wells Fargo or right. City, the four As largest I do, banks, sitting here. Yeah. Good example. I still have my account with Bank of America, almost no money in it, but I keep it for certain types of transactions that Atmos cannot do. So what we have to do is we say, okay, if we can't directly get them to change, we can pull our money out of those accounts and move it into an account like Atmos. Correct. Because through that change, we are voting with our dollars. We're saying, okay, I'm going to put my dollars with Atmos. You're still getting FDIC insurance up to $250,000 through our partner bank, Five Star Bank in New York. Just like everyone else. Yes. You're getting web apps, mobile apps. You get debit card with cash back on you know 2000 or something like that different climate positive or sustainable brands i mean if you charge your ev using your atmos card we give you cash back if you go buy gasoline you don't get cash back so we've made choices about you know rewarding people for certain things on your savings account base rate is 1.75% right now wow if you make a donation to one of our 100 plus climate nonprofits that we partnered with, we're going to double that to three and a half percent. So if you're earning nothing at one of these big banks, 0.0001%, whatever exactly. it is. Yeah. And you move the savings and you're like, oh, it's really hard. Well, just move the savings. It just sits there. Yeah. Keep your checking accounts, you know, elsewhere until things get to make it easy. Like there should be no sacrifice to do the right thing. So we pay you more, we give you good features, we give you good the, the technology, and then you can be satisfied knowing that 100% of your money is funding this transition. Right. So it's how do we make these unsexy things no sacrifice? We make, we turn them sex, like we like the unsexy into sexy. It's like Tesla took what was essentially, you know, revamped Ford Focuses with a bunch of lead acid batteries. <laughs> like those were like, you know, the EVs of the time, it was, it was a bunch of DIY because none of the incumbents wanted to do it. Right. We came in and said, how do we make a car that people want that's electric? 
Right. And so that's what they built and they've right. changed the industry. So how do we build a bank account that people want that's changing the world? That's what we're doing. So we've got consumer accounts now. We are working on our commercial accounts. So those will be coming out soon as well. So if you're a climate tech startup, if you're a small business that's, you know, B Corp or working in this space, a podcast, you know, <laughs> you can move your accounts to Atmos and have that money do what you do every day. Right. It's so crazy that those of us who've worked in this space, who are working in this space, have our money working against us. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, as myself sitting here, I have a credit card with Chase, I have a checking account with Chase, I have a savings account with Chase. And yeah, I mean, it sounds like the value proposition is perfectly geared for someone like myself who increasingly wants to align all of my choices in service of the things that I'm already covering and spending a lot of time thinking about, about how do we accelerate climate action, which I think is a very compelling value proposition, especially if there's additional benefits such as getting more yield on the savings account. So yeah, you know, offline, you and I can work on my transition post-podcast, but it definitely is a compelling value proposition, I think, for folks for whom this is a fundamental concern. And I think there's a lot of increasing data that people are hungry for low cost or low barrier to, or low switching cost ways to make some more of those aligned decisions in their life. Yeah. And, you know, in order for people to know that we're not greenwashing, you know, initially people knew that we weren't greenwashing because like the the early customers were other people in, in the climate space. And they've known me for a decade plus and they opened up their accounts and then they told their friends, it's like, oh wait, I know the person who started this and it's like, they're actually doing that. Like it's legit. So start there. But last December, we launched our consumer lending program as well. And so people could start taking loans from us to put solar on the roof and batteries in the garage. And that was our first loan product. And we launched in seven states in the Northeast. We're about to open up a few more. And if you go into the app or on our website, you can actually see the zip codes of where those systems are. So we're showing like in real time when we do these new things, it's like you can see the, the real impact that you're having with your money. We're creating this feedback loop. And if your, your money's in there, it's like in the app, you'll be able to apply for the loan. And then, or you take a loan from us and you're like, wait, I can get a higher savings rate. And then you move to your savings from Chase and now you're earning a higher savings rate and effectively reducing the cost of your loan further. Interesting. So by using the low cost deposits, we're able to reduce the cost of those solar loans versus the incumbent lenders in, in the residential solar space. And then by having people move their savings in as well, we're further reducing that cost. Our goal is to make this transition as affordable and accessible for everyone that we can. I'm curious, you know, what were some of the most technically difficult, and perhaps some of this is building the actual systems, perhaps some of this was navigating complexities inherent to banking itself, but what were some of the most, you know, technically challenging problems that you had to solve to get to the point where you are able to offer these things to consumers and also eventually to to corporations as well? Yeah, it's a good question for our CTO, who's (laughs) a wizard and sort of make things appear easy to us on the outside. But I'd say, one, also 
as we're not a bank, we have to work with banks and integrate with them. And when we launched originally, we worked with another fintech company who then had integrated with banks. So, so they had a, a much more difficult time with your initial integration. And so we had modern APIs to connect into to launch our product. And then just this summer, we migrated everyone's accounts from that bank over to our new bank, Five Star Bank, which we're also partnering with on the loans. And they've built up their own sort of modern API system for us to connect into. So it is becoming more plug and play. So Bass Banking as a Service is changing. First, it was fintechs. Now more banks are taking that on directly themselves. So we're removing a middle layer between us and the bank (laughs) and it's becoming easier. So what, you know, there are several technical challenges. One on our cashback program is that the classification of all of these different transactions and, and businesses can change from Patagonia, for instance, there may be a different classification or identifier for one store from another versus the online store. Yeah. And so we're constantly having to reclassify, add more things there. So it's not, you know, super technically, like there's simple ways to solve this, which are more human intensive and then, you know, add in more complexity there. The security side is definitely not something that I was aware of until I got into finance. I was like, everybody that wants to join our accounts wants to save the world like we do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I saw somebody post recently in FinTech that basically everyone who joins FinTech, they should know that your first customers are going to be fraudsters because they find out about new FinTech companies first. Interesting. The marketing within the fraud community is way better than, than within the general customer <laughs> populace. So you have to be really careful. And so like the rose colored glasses were smashed very early on. <laughs> and so we went very tight on security very quickly. It's so we added a lot of friction to make sure that our customers were safe, but that's okay because our customers are coming from either small community banks or large banks, both of which have a lot of friction within their processes. And so it's not like they were going from a modern tech solution to us. So those were some really interesting things. And that's, you know, security is ongoing forever. Yeah, Yeah, that's always going to be an arms race of sorts. Exactly. Another interesting challenge that we're working on and that we're we're getting outreach and support from our own customers, many of which are, you know, PhD, energy scientists and so forth, is the measurement and verification of the impact and how this goes. And so how do we constantly improve how we're reporting on, tracking and then displaying that information? So this is, so as an engineer, somebody coming from the deployment side, this is like what I love a lot more is this side of it. And so as we grow, you know, we'll be able to actually show much more on the 24 seven impact that's having. It's like, Hey, here's what's doing. And as the loan draws down, it's just sort of changing. And here's the impact of the changing asset base. And as we add in, heat pumps and solar and EVs and battery storage and different products, they're all going to have an effect different times of the day and different times of the year. So now taking all of that into account, 
to show, you know, what we're doing so to move towards that 24-7 clean electrified economy. Yeah. I mean, especially thinking about kind of the user and the consumer experience, you know, a dream state is that on your kind of account dashboard, you not only have, okay, here's how much money I have, here's how much I'm earning, but like you could also have, you know, with varying degrees of granularity and, and different metrics, like here's the actual impact that I'm driving on a day-to-day -day basis. That would be particularly exciting. Well, we already have that. So it's like- Beautiful. We have that on a, on a very basic level. Right. So it's just like, okay, here is much more of like a, a static number. And we're now moving more towards, you know, somewhat of a dynamic number that changes more on asset, but not on that sort of, not on the daily cycle or on the seasonal right. cycles. But that's our goal. It's like, yeah. how do we continue to get to that real time, you know, data visualization and communication? And as you're continuing to grow the business and aggregate more deposits, what's the decision process and evaluation process look like around what solutions you fund? Because as you've mentioned, there's already a variety of different things that you're helping accelerate. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, you know, from your perspective, what's the consideration set that informs, okay, now we're ready to help residential owners adopt heat pumps and to finance that or whatever the actual solution is? Because we offer bank loans and we work with banks and credit unions to make these loans, what we're offering is our bank loans, for, you know, so it has to be what can be financed by a bank loan. So things that have scientific risk still, things that are still in development, sure. can it be financed by a bank loan? Direct air capture, you know, large utility scale projects, new nuclear. You can't get a small modular reactor for your backyard <laughs> for $35,000, dollars $100,000. Like, yeah, maybe like, in 50 years, we'll see. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's just like a little, you know, toaster size SMR that's like your own battery backup or it's a micro reactor for your neighborhood, like maybe that's possible in 20 to 50 years, but it's not right now. So on the consumer side, it's solar, batteries, heat pumps, electrification, EVs, that, those types of things. And similarly on the commercial side as well. But then also you have like fleet electrification gets slightly larger, think, things like that. And then it's where can we have an impact? Also, we could do utility scale. We could do two things like that, but it's already a saturated market in terms of finance. People so, know how to develop utility scale solar projects between banking and tax equity and stuff like that. Yeah, those are financed by the same banks that we are saying, hey, stop funding you know, $300 billion worth of fossil fuels are also the ones that are funding the $10, $20 billion worth of large-scale solar. Right. Like they've got the money to do those large projects. And they also have a hundred people that are sitting in a room with 40 inch monitors and Excel sheets that are a thousand rows long. Right. Like, so that, that's not our type of company. Like we're not a, a project finance company. We're a software company. We're a tech company. So how can we move things faster? How can we provide the most impact? And it's not doing those large projects. It's the distributed energy. It's the distributed resources that's where we can have the most impact. It's aggregating community banks, credit unions, small, you know, commercial projects, consumer products, projects, and bringing those together and financing those. 
So that's the thinking that we have, you know, but potentially also if we bring in other types of financing into this, that's like a bridge, maybe we help some of those other projects get from the, they've done five or 10 projects or a hundred projects. And now they're moving from the, the private equity hedge fund space. And now they're almost, they're ready for, for bank loans. So that may could be coming in the, in the next few years as well, but we don't know. So right now we're focusing on what can we do in the words of Jigger Shah, deploy, deploy, deploy. <laughs> exactly. So let so many let's solutions. Get more money out there faster for this transition. And so how we're doing that is through smaller projects using software. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We know that we need to deploy more rooftop solar. We know that we need to deploy more stationary batteries that enable higher capacity factor for that rooftop solar. We know that we need to deploy more heat pumps, even things like insulation for homes. We know that we need to encourage people who are making a choice between a new internal combustion engine vehicle and a battery electric vehicle to choose the latter. So yeah, I appreciate that it isn't all about like, oh, what's the next newfangled thing that we can also add to the portfolio? Like there's plenty of need to work with the existing workhorse technologies that are already scaling. I'm curious also, even just walking around New York where I live, sometimes you see advertisements from other companies that are sort of like green banking focused or they're like, you know, our card offers you know, points that go towards carbon offsetting or something in that regard. Who in the space would you identify as kind of like the most direct competitor to what you're trying to accomplish? Or is it fundamentally something that no one else is thinking about in the same way that you think Atmos is? Clean Energy Credit Union is the only other climate positive like banking offering in the US right now. They're a regulated credit union. And so like we're an unregulated fintech company, they're a credit union. So open accounts with either one of us, you'll have 100% sort of climate alignment with your money. Then the apps that you receive, the service, the other things are going to be different based on that. And so if you're like, I really want to focus on local credit union and I live in the Denver Boulder area so I can actually go into an office, then they're perfect for you. We talk, we're friends, we're not competition. We've got the exact same mission and we support right. each other and talking with them about how do we help them grow, use their money through our software to deploy more. It's right. like, how do we work together? So yeah. other than them, then there's like the sort of the B Corp mission aligned amalgamated bank in New York is one of the best. They're one of the, the OG sort of values aligned banks in the US started almost hundred years ago. Their focus has traditionally been more on the social side of things, but have in the last several years come more into the climate focus and have funded projects. And so, so yeah, so it's like want to work more than them. The card thing is it's something that they can do easily. And it's just like, Hey, how can we have an impact in the terms, times of rising interest rate environments, other things, it's difficult for them to do these types of loans. And many of these types of loans are too small. So banks have very manual processes. Right. And so that's why you don't see a lot of community banks and credit unions working in this space, because if they were to do it and you had to fill out all these forms by hand and they process them by hand, and then, you know, they emailed you or called you 
uh, and it's somebody typing it out saying, hey, Nick, pay your bill. That's very costly. And they would lose money because it's a $20,000 loan, $30,000 loan. But if they're working with Atmos and it's Atmos software, now they can do that. And so that's one side of that multi-sided marketplace. Right. Is that if the banks come in and they work with us, we can help them make those loans and have that greater impact. Um, so if we have this conversation in a year, hopefully the list of banks that are doing real impact, you know, will be orders of magnitude larger than it is right now. Um, and, you know, some of the banks are doing the card programs as a greenwashing technique, you know, amalgamated. They've had programs like that for many years. And that's part of, it's an easy thing for them to do. And it's, you know, it's part of their core values, but they've also lending money into this space too. So like they're one of the good banks. Um, Climate First Bank in Florida, they are, you know, moving towards climate neutral. The thing with regulated banks, so it's like they would like to be climate positive, but because of the regulated nature of banking, they have to have a diversified portfolio. The regulators say, hey, if you're just going to do solar, that would be, you know, too concentrated with one asset and that would be risky. Makes sense. And so Climate First Bank has a lot of conventional commercial real estate and other things like that. Right. And so, you know, they're in the moving towards climate neutral space, but they're doing solar lending and other things like that as well to do as much as they can. But, you know, the goal of Atmos is that all 60,000 banks and credit unions globally are deploying capital for this transition. So it's not that we want to be the biggest lender. It's that we, you know, by on our own, it's that we want to facilitate the greatest number of banks and credit unions and non-bank financiers to deploy their capital into this space as we can so that it was like that four to six trillion dollars, you know, is in the rearview mirror. We're at eight to ten trillion dollars that are being deployed. Right. Um, Love that. Because that's really where we need to get to. We need to get beyond what's the minimum we can do. No, it's like we... <laughs> How far can we go? How fast can we go to get this transition? And the more people that step in and be like, you know what? I don't need my savings account to earn 0.01%. <laughs> I'm going to add a little complexity in my life and spend two minutes to apply for an account at Atmos and have that savings now fund this transition and earn more money for myself. And we need more banks saying, hey, I can earn a very decent return and have you know somebody else do the work for me. Like that's all, that's all Atmos does is we do the work for the banks and, and they earn money on it. It's like, it's a good deal. <laughs> Everyone's like, you know, and the installers that we work with, we provide them, you know, an easy to use product with a lower cost loan offering. Yeah. So we want this to be no sacrifice for everybody so that we can all win. It's not like, Hey, let's take the biggest piece of the pie. And then you guys figure out, out. it's like, <laughs> no, let's all get there because doesn't matter how much money you have if the world is, you know, underwater and on fire. What are you going to spend it on? I guess a raft and some fire extinguishers, but that's <laughs> yeah, nice. I mean, adaptation important too and and something that I'm sure a lot of money will flow to, but yeah, we should definitely be focused on making that as unnecessary as possible. You already spoke to this a little bit, but, you know, kind of in closing, I'd love to understand as you think about the next 3-5 years, maybe out to 2030, 
what are really like the concrete core KPIs that you track? Like, what would you be super excited to say by 2030 that like Atmos has facilitated X over the last 10 years? Ultimately, it's about gigawatts of clean energy installed and gigawatt hours, terawatt hours of energy produced and energy storage yep. you know, put in place. Number of vehicles that we've replaced. I would rather see people, especially within cities, replace their ICE vehicle with a, instead of a 100 kilowatt hour battery pack, you know, Ford F-150 Lightning or right. a Tesla Model Y, I would rather see them get a 10 kilowatt hour battery pack rad power like e-bike right so many <laughs> or people, just a bicycle <laughs> yeah like or just a bicycle but really get an e-bike because if you get an e-bike you are just going to be transported into a world of like transportation wonder like that's how they're <laughs> like going to describe it as it's like because people when they think about biking they're like i don't want to show up to where i'm going sweaty it's like you can still have the machine do the work for you, but now you can get past traffic. You can still carry hundreds of pounds of goods with you and children. Like it is supremely possible for us to do the vast majority of our trips within cities on bicycles and e-bikes. And if you get like the e-bike is the easy button of transportation. And so I would love to see that it's, you know, most people are thinking about switching one-to-one ICE vehicle for, for electric vehicle. Yeah. But if we're doing our jobs right, we have fewer cars on the road in a decade. But like, so I can't give you exact numbers for <laughs> like in 10 years, like what's the number of, of, of gigawatts of anything that we've deployed, but it's this fundamental shift and how we're thinking about the spaces that we're occupying and how we're, we're producing and consuming energy. And, and so ideally, you know, and it's, again, it's something that we you know, talked about a little bit before, but it's like, how do we use the unsexy parts of our economy and our worlds in yeah. a better way? Urban planning, banking, insurance, like we can provide ourselves a much better life. Like why do we focus on giving space, so much space to these vehicles, which we don't use all that often? Yeah. You know, rather like 5% of the our, of our time instead of to us as humans. Yeah. And other beings. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we can make our world so much more pleasant, our cities so much more pleasant. So let's get political and business leaders who are courageous enough to say, you know what? Let's pedestrianize that city, <laughs> that, that city block. Let's make this offering. Let's switch how we do business and how we operate. And I hope that Atmos is a leader in that space. Right. And show that it can be done. So ultimately, that's what I would like to see happen in 10 years. Beautiful. Yeah. And I love how, you know, as we've talked about, it is sometimes the unsexy or the completely out of mind things such as where I keep my cash deposits that can help accelerate and bring about all of that change. So thanks to you for the work that you do and shining a light on that and giving people an option to create a little better alignment in their lives.
Nick, thank you so much for, for having me on and having this discussion. It was a great pleasure. Yeah. To close on a CTA, just to make it abundantly clear for people that would be interested in potentially checking you, checking out Atmos and or just following your work and where you share your opinions, where are some good places for folks to navigate to after listening? Easiest, if you want to join Atmos, you go to joinatmos.com, A-T-M-O-S. And same thing, uh, social media, or mostly join Atmos or Atmos Financial. And Ravi Mickelson, it's a Sanskrit first name, Danish last name. So <laughs> literally one out of you know nine billion or however many we are on this planet now. So it's very easy to find. That's usually my handle on uh, social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Blue Sky. I'll make sure all of that is in the show notes as well. And yeah, thanks again for your time. And I'm sure that we'll chat again in six months time or a year and we can check in on progress being made. And I am going to make a commitment to open up an account with you all after this because I've been plotting that change for a while from Chase. So excited about that. Sounds great, Nick. Yeah, let's help everyone to keep it cool. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks so much. We'll chat soon. Thanks for tuning in. So you don't miss the next episode on another cutting edge climate tech, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And to get even deeper, you can sign up for my newsletter on workweek.com. We'll see you soon.